Hi, Val from Trippy Food here, and this is part two of our initial podcast. We're talking with Allie. Uh, she's asking some questions, having a little bit of fun. And where we left off, we were talking about uh, burgers. So in that vein, when it comes to burgers, I completely advocate going to like little burger shacks where they've been maybe maybe making these burgers for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years. These little tiny shacks, because usually the quality of the meat there is, is really, really good. And the reason I, I suggest people go there, you know, it may cost you a dollar or two more than a hamburger would cost you at McDonald's, but you're getting a good quality burger. And the problem is that so many of these places are just going by the wayside and some of these places are just disappearing. There was a place in uh, Ventura, California uh, called the Top Hat. And they had been around for, I think it was like 50 or 60 years. They were around forever. And it was this little shack on a, on a corner uh, and a vacant lot behind them. Well, the city kind of forced them out because they wanted to build on that vacant lot. And they were the only thing preventing them from doing that. And the, so the city bought them out, but they couldn't reopen anywhere else because they'd been open for so, such a long time that for them to move, open up a new place, they would have to meet the more recent up-to-date uh, rules and regulations for owning a restaurant. So they'd have to have all kinds of modern facilities in there, and they just wouldn't be able to do that. So the place just you know, completely went out of business. You've, you've been to uh, to Huts, right, in, in Austin, Texas? In Austin, yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the cool thing about Huts is that for, I think it's a dollar more, I can't remember exactly what it is, but for a dollar more or so, you can substitute uh, uh, bison for the beef. So you can get a, a bison burger. But the other thing is, is you know, if you're going to have to go to a chain restaurant and everything, I recommend Fuddruckers. And the reason I recommend Fuddruckers is because you can get a, a buffalo burger. You can substitute buffalo burger at Fuddruckers, but you can also substitute ostrich. You get an ostrich burger at Fuddruckers as well. What does ostrich taste like? It tastes very much like beef, now, which is, is kind of a, a conundrum because if you think about it, uh, ostrich is a bird. It's the world's largest bird, and it tastes like beef. So it's kind of like, you know, you know that the typical first thing out of people's mouth is, does it taste like chicken? And no. Uh, because it's a bird. <laughs> exactly. It tastes nothing like chicken, nothing like chicken at all. It tastes like beef. It maybe has like a slight tangier taste to it. But um, if you didn't tell somebody it was ostrich, they wouldn't know that it was not beef. And, and that's the thing is people have a tendency to want to sneak things by people. And so they, they tell them or they don't tell them what it is. So they'll say, hey, <laughs> try this hamburger. And then when you finish the hamburger, they say, that was ostrich. What do you think? Well, it kind of works the opposite for me. So if they did that to me and they said, here, try this hamburger. And I ate the hamburger and I said, yeah, that's pretty good. And they say, well, that was ostrich. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me it was ostrich? Because then I would have savored it. I would have paused. I would have gotten the smell and the taste and everything and just, you know, said, okay, this is what ostrich tastes like. How is this different? How is this the same? You know, and I would have, you know, evaluated it differently. But if you but tell it's me it's a general assumption that it was just a, a, gener a generic burger. You tell me it's a burger and then I eat it and then you say it wasn't a burger, <laughs> it, was, it was ostrich. I think, okay, it was a good hamburger, but man, I wish I knew it was ostrich. I would have, you know, approached it differently. And I can understand this myself. And maybe you can. There are people who say, oh, yeah, the other day I went to this restaurant and somebody ordered something for me and they told me it was chicken. And I ate the whole thing and it was really, really delicious and everything. And then they told me it was pigeon. And I was sick for two days. 
And I think to myself, wait, you loved it. You, you, you absolutely loved it, the taste of it. But when you found out it was pigeon, you suddenly didn't love it and it made you sick. And it, I feel like it's, it's almost like a placebo effect. Like they just, they mentally talk themselves into the fact of they're being sick because it's something that they wouldn't think mentally that they would want to eat because they think of it as dirty. Trick themselves in, into feeling that way. I think of, uh, I think of my mother who, when we were kids, she used to, she used to get head cheese. And I, I, are you familiar with head cheese, what it is? Mm-mm. Head cheese basically they take all the parts of the the pig's head, uh, like bits of ears and snout and you know whatever little pieces of you know various scraps. They kind of chop it all up and they they cook it in a stock and then let it set. And the natural collagen in the pig's hide that gets cooked down forms a jelly. And so you have all these pig bits that are suspended in this jelly, and then they just kind of kind of slice it. Well. Oscar Mayer, believe it or not, used to have, you could go into a deli section of the grocery store and used to be able to buy head, you know, slices of head cheese. And my mom used to eat it. And I don't recall if I ever tried it or not when I was a kid. But, but I was talking to her recently and I mentioned, you loved head cheese, but do you know what's in it? And, and, and do you know how it's made? And she said, no, and don't tell me because I want to enjoy it. And I think to myself, well, how is knowing what it is going to change the fact that you love the taste of it? Uh, so I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, but I certainly respect other people's opinion on that. Well, I'm kind of intrigued that people can actually talk themselves that much into not thinking that it's something that could be gross, because obviously if they're in denial of wanting to know what's in it, they assume that there's something that could be considered gross, so they have to still know that it's not what they think it is. Well, either that or they don't question it. Like, for instance, if somebody says, I'm going to give you head cheese for dinner tonight, do you kind of ask me, like, is it cheese? Is it shaped like a head? Did it come off an animal? You know, it's uh, you're probably going to be asking questions like like sweetbreads. Uh, have you have you heard of sweetbreads? I have, but I know that it's not what I assumed it was. It's it's not sweet. Finding out. It's neither sweet nor bread. It is generally the thymus gland of the cow that's cooked up, and I I don't know why they call them sweetbreads, but I can imagine if you're in a restaurant and you order sweetbreads and you're expecting like pan dulce or something like that to come to the table, and you see this meat object uh, come to the table instead, you're going to be a little bit put off and you're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't look like bread. Yeah, I don't know. Some people are really touchy with stuff like that. But then there's people like you who will eat anything. So. Well, not anything. There's some things I don't like. What would you never, ever, ever eat? I don't think I would ever not eat something. So in other words, I think I think I get, I would always try something. There are uh, just things you really would stuff. prefer not to. No, no. There are things that, having eaten them once or twice, or even more than more than that, I just don't like, and I won't, and I don't want to eat anymore. Uh, like uh, Marmite. Uh, to me, Marmite tastes like a uh, hundred thousand mile crankcase oil that's lightly salted, and and you spread it. I mean, it's it's a British thing. You spread it on toast for breakfast, and. Um, and every time I've gone to England, I've given it a try. So uh, I'll get my piece of toast and I'll spread my marmite on that, and I'll take a bite, and I'll just—it's just to me, I just don't—I don't enjoy it whatsoever. I don't enjoy it. I usually finish the piece of toast thinking that as I eat it, maybe I'm not accumulating a taste for it. I mean, you're doing it in honest effort. You've, you've tried it more than once, so obviously you're seeing like, well, maybe it's just this time. But after trying it that many times, you still. I've tried it about five times now, and I just can't. I just can't enjoy it. And so, you know, I I'll, I'll pass. I give it a pass now. So, uh, something I just uh, I just don't like. Uh, other things that I don't like. Uh, it's not that I won't eat them, 
I prefer not to is raw onions. And the reason I don't like raw onions is because they have a tendency to overpower the food that they're served with. So like in a salad, all you taste is the onions. And then if there's anything else in there, it just gets lost uh, by the by the taste of the onion. I, I've had raw onions that were chopped up and maybe put in pico de gallo or something along those lines where, you know, it was okay. And it, it, it added some flavor to it, but it wasn't overpowering. But just, you know... Slices of raw onion served on things. To me, it just it away from it. yeah, it, it destroys you know the taste of, of what you're eating. All you get is the the taste of the onion. It's just so overpowering that I just don't enjoy it. Is there any odd food that you experience but probably won't blog about? If I do, it's probably because it's just a you know a real quick thing that uh, you know it's it's either maybe not that interesting. Or maybe there's just not much to say about it. Or maybe it's something that I've experienced before, but uh, don't have any pictures or video or anything to, uh, you know, to further show that. So, like, I would say, like, uh, like for instance, uh, peanut butter and banana sandwich, right? It's such a basic thing, but it's not, it's not an everyday thing. I mean, not everybody eats peanut butter and banana sandwich. Elvis made them, made them popular. It was, like, one of his favorite things to eat. But um, but you got to try it every once in a while, and when you do try it, you know they're pretty good. But it doesn't really seem like something that people would be that interested in. Like tell tell us all about this amazing peanut butter and banana sandwich. It's just it's sort of in that like neutral purgatory <clears throat> of not weird enough, but not really general. Yeah, and again, uh, if I'm going to blog about something, I want to have pictures to support it. And there's some things that I've that I've enjoyed that were really different and unique. Like uh, New Brunswick, Canada, they have this. I want to call it a snack. They serve it almost like potato chips. Well, you go into a restaurant, they'll be in a bowl and table. And really, what it is, it's dried seaweed, dried kelp that's cut into little squares. So they dry it on the beach, they cut it in little squares, and you eat it like the potato chips. And it's kind of leathery, but when you put it in your mouth, it just kind of after a while uh, reconstitutes, and then it becomes, uh, you know, chewable, and it has an oceany taste to it. I don't really like them, but, you know, don't have any pictures of it, and it's just kind of a, you know, a brief snack food. So I just I just can't see doing an entire blog article just on, on this one snack they have up there. How long have you been uh, doing it? Again, when I was a kid, my mom used to make some unusual well, or things that people would think are unusual. She made her, she would cook pig's feet on the stove. Again, she you know ate, ate head cheese. I remember as a kid eating uh, fried green tomatoes, which is an unusual thing to be eating up in Massachusetts. It's usually a southern thing. But my, the way my mom made them, she would just put them on the grill and grill them. She didn't batter them and deep fry them. She would kind of grill them. So I did eat a little bit of unusual stuff, but. Really, we didn't tra- we didn't travel a lot when I was a kid. I didn't really start, you know, getting out and seeing things until I was about 13, 14 years old and going into Boston. And even then, really wasn't exposed to anything different or unusual. And um, when I was 18 years old, I got a job uh, for a, a printing company as a messenger, and I had to fly into New York. And the guy who met me in New York said, I'm going to take you out for the best pizza you've ever had in your life, and took me to Ray's. And after that, it was just kind of like, look at all this amazing stuff out there, all this uh, you know, amazing stuff to try. And after that, I had uh, travel jobs uh, where I traveled all over the U.S. and Canada. And every time I went to another city, the first thing I would do is uh, the people I was working with say to them, what is the one thing that I can get in this city that I can't get anywhere else? So is it uh, is it a certain food that you just can't find anywhere else? Do you prepare things a certain way? Uh, do you you know put your own spin on a certain thing? Uh, you know what is it that I can only find here? And and then I would go after that and I would try to find that. And at the same time, 
<clears throat> again, because the blog is not just food based, it's also, you know, travel based about seeing interesting things, about seeing unique things. Uh, when I would travel for work, I'd bring my camera with me and it'd be like, uh, well, I'm, I'm in, Topeka, Kansas. What is unique about Topeka, Kansas? And I would try to capture something unique and different about Topeka, Kansas, uh, whether it was food-wise or uh, some odd thing standing by the side of the road or, you know, just something that they were famous for, something they were known for. And uh, and then after a while, it became an obsession. It, 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 when I got home, if I went to a restaurant, I I had to get the most unusual thing on the menu, and, and I, I just wouldn't go to chain restaurants. I'd want to go to some place that was unique and interesting. Mm-hmm. It's awesome because it's, it's something you love so much, and you're so passionate about it, and you, you can really tell. I do have to tell you this funny story, though. Uh, my first travel job uh, where I, I did a lot of major traveling, I was living in Massachusetts at the time, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to San Diego, California. And uh, the people that I was working with, I kind of took them aside and I said, hey, look, you guys are, what, 25 miles from the Mexican border. You have to have some good Mexican food here. I mean, there's got to be some good Mexican food places. And the guy said to me, look, okay, I'll tell you what to do. Go up the street here, go through the set of lights. On the left-hand side, you'll see this place. It's called Taco Bell. And then there was a kind of embarrassing pause for a second. I was waiting for a punchline, and I said, "Seriously, Taco Bell?" And he said, "Yeah, it's Taco Bell. It's it's a uh, it's kind of fast foody and everything, but it's really good." And I I kind of explained to him that, "Look, I live in Massachusetts, and there's a Taco Bell up the street from my house." And I was kind of looking for something a little bit more regional. And then he said, "Oh, well, maybe there's something down in Old Town. You'll have to talk to somebody else." But I like Taco Bell. <laughs> what ended up happening was I did have to talk to somebody else and say, look, I'm looking for, you know, something regional, something that I can only get here, good Mexican food, you know. I told me Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what do you got? And so, and so if you think about it, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, enchiladas, uh, burritos, you know, standard Mexican food. But now I've ramped up my my search for Mexican food. Now I'm eating Oaxacan stuff, so I'm eating things like uh, huitlacoche, which is the uh, corn fungus, or the uh, grasshoppers, fried grasshoppers uh, that they eat in Oaxaca. So e- even if I'm going for an, uh, an ethnic food, the sort more unu- the more unusual, the better. You know, like Chinese food. I don't want poopoo platter. I don't want uh, you know chicken fingers and spare ribs. I want uh, you know rolled pig's ear. Uh, even even when you take the basic stuff, I I like to to ramp it up and take it up a notch. Well, too much to talk about in too little time. This marks the end of our first podcast, part two. Hope you enjoyed it. We talked to Allie for a while. We had some fun. Talked about food. We talked about travel. And we'll have more podcasts coming up in the near future. So I invite you to give me your ideas. If you'd like to participate, we do the podcast on Skype. So we can record a session. If you find somebody that you think we might want to talk to in an interview, uh, we'll try to do that. If you have any ideas for doing a remote session where we actually go somewhere and do some recording live, please let us know that too. So you can reach me at val at trippyfood.com. I look forward to your ideas, and may all your trips be good ones.